0: You remember that game, that game that your parents made you play when you and your siblings were restless and fighting in the back seat of the car? It was called Silence. <laughs> and when you p- played it, it was the person who was quiet for the longest time who won. And if you made a sound, you were out. Now I was going to play that game with the kids in the service, but it came to me that it's always a game that adults impose upon kids, and the unfairness of that kind of stuck with me. So today we are going to play that game right now. Santiago is exempt, by the way. Um, Okay, so ready? If you make a sound, you're out. Okay, forget it. You guys are just too good. Uh, how many of you hated that game? I didn't let it go on long enough for it to be awful. I could have used my whole sermon time, but I really didn't want to do that. Um, who is good at this game? Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Mhm. Um, those of you who are good at that game, you showed a lot of self-control. And that is a fruit of the spirit that we are going to talk about today. It's the last one mentioned in Galatians 5, 22, and 23. It's interesting that in our graphic, the last two fruit of the spirit do not even show. Pastor George and I noticed this kind of late. This this graphic is about verse 22, but verse 23 is missing out of this graphic. So, we're going to read that passage in Galatians 5. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and now the two that were left out, meekness and self-control. Verse 23 is the one that I have the most trouble with, meekness and self-control and self-control especially so it is i'm bitter about it landing on me to preach on this uh because i knew you know okay this week has not been a good week for self-control let me just say that i know i was going to struggle with it if i had to preach on it i've thought about self-control being the will on top of desires if your will is strong over your desires you have self-control. Do you find that to be true? And when we just don't want to do what we know we should do for whatever, there's a lot of reasons, desire beats self-control. So when desire is stronger than your will, then you lack self-control. Does this happen in your life as it happens in mine? Uh, Self-control is not my favorite. Lucky for me, self-control is mentioned in the New Testament uh, not very much at all. That word in Galatians 5 and or its cognates are found in only six passages of the New Testament. So six times self-control is mentioned in the New Testament. By contrast, agape, unconditional love, which is the first of our fruit of the Spirit, and its cognates are found 264 times. Ready? <laughs> 264 times versus So that lopsidedness itself tells us everything about the direction and emphasis and focus in the New Testament. Now, what if those numbers were switched? What if self-control or self-discipline was drilled into every page of the New Testament, every chapter, the way love is? And what if every time you opened a devotional, there would be a good chance that self-control would be in that devotional, that it would be highlighted? Now, some of us would be just fine with that, some of us would love that. My friend, Frances Dyer, sure could have lived with that. She went to the doctor in her 90s and asked him what would help her physical condition that she was in, and he said, well, diet, very reluctantly. If she went on a rigorous, restrictive diet, she would feel better. And she said, but I've been coming to you for years. Why didn't you tell me that before? And she said, he said, basically, you're old, you're near 90s, and you probably wouldn't do it. He did not know who he was talking to because that was a red flag in front of the bull that was Francis Dyer, and she immediately, immediately she complied successfully, consistently, rigorously. From then on, she stuck to her medical diet prescribed by her doctor. But, you know, Frances had those German Grunewald genes in her. And she could grit her teeth and do anything if she put her mind to it. Do genetics have anything to do with our self-control? I blame my Swedish side. Frances had a steel will, and I admired her. So much. Now, by contrast, I tried to wean myself from sweetener, artificial sweeteners, this week. People over the years have told me how bad they are. And I, you know, I tried like maybe one day before. It's just that I like diet sodas and I like my coffee with cream and sweetener in the morning. I like my mate, my Argentine tea with sweetener mid morning, and I like iced tea in the afternoon. And until I tried to wean myself out. I didn't know how much I was consuming. Does God care what I eat? Does God really care about self-control in our diet? And I would put exercise in that because I'm kind of feeling bad about exercise right now. Does that God really care about those things in the way our society seems to make a big deal about them? Trillion dollar industries are devoted to how much we weigh or how we look. And it does make a lot of sense for us to get healthier through diet and exercise, but we do not sin by eating in a certain way. The The Jewish new Christians, after Jesus' death, tried to make eating a manner of sin or devotion to God based on kosher laws, and Paul was having none of it. So God does not care about artificial sweeteners the way he cares about love. That is not the self-control of which Galatians speaks. So am I off the hook with self-control? It's only six times. No, because God does care about self-control when it comes to obeying him when it comes to sin, when it comes to living with him, when it comes to following him. Self-control is important, even though it's mentioned so seldom. It's so important that Jesus gives it to us as a fruit of his Holy Spirit. Now, all along this sermon series, we've been saying that as we abide in God and as we get to know him better, we, as we follow him, the fruit of the Spirit will grow in us. And at the same time, we've been saying that we have to cooperate with the Spirit's work to cultivate that fruit that the Spirit is growing in us to work it out for ourselves. Because we need to be becoming more loving and more joyful and more kind and more patient and more good and more full of faith and faithful, more faithful, both, to be more meek and to have more self-control. So which is it? Who does the work? Is it all on God to grow self-control in us, or is it all on us to put our best effort in to boost our self-control, to hold ourselves accountable? And I think the answer is yes, it is totally on God, because we can't have this fruit with our efforts alone. And at the same time, I have to say yes, it is totally up to us to use every muscle, every tool that we have to build up this fruit. We don't stand a chance of having self-control without God doing the growing in us. And we also don't stand a chance at a harvest unless we put in the effort. Self-control comes as a last fruit because it affects the health of all the other fruit. It's the last piece necessary if we're to take full advantage of God's great pouring into our lives. Now, every other time self-control is mentioned in the New Testament, It's as a quality that we are encouraged to work hard on. When the New Testament writers wrote about self-control, most of the time they had in mind controlling sexual desires. If you're married, don't deprive your spouse of their conjugal rights, except by mutual consent, and then maybe just for a short time uh, for prayer, devoted to prayer, So that, quote, Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul says this to the Corinthians. And then he goes on to say, those who are single, who are not practicing self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn, he says. Have you found that Satan is very much in the picture, entangled in our struggles, For self control, and we're trying to decide this way or that way. Just as he is very much involved in some of our struggles to be more productive in love and meekness and all the other fruit, but with those, it's a little bit more hidden behind the curtain. When it it comes to self control, we feel we are in a bare knuckled fight with the devil sometimes. Our lack of self control is often, not always mind you, but often bound up with sin. That's what those passages teach us. When Paul was imprisoned, Felix the governor sent for Paul to hear him speak concerning faith in Christ Jesus. And in Acts, it tells us, as Paul discussed, now he is a prisoner discussing this with the highest ranking person who can set him free. As Paul was discussing justice, self-control and the coming judgment, Felix became frightened. I bet he did. He became frightened and said, go away for the present. Our lack of self-control can lead us straight into sin. And that corrupt governor who perverted justice would have to face God's judgment one day over his lack of self-control, as we do. When we lose a battle with self-control, we feel guilt and shame. Guilt from sin is well-deserved guilt. If we have truly done wrong, guilt forces us to face ourselves. Guilt is good if it sends us to our knees to face God, to take care of our guilt through repentance, turning away from the desire that brought us to sin and asking for and receiving forgiveness in Jesus. Guilt is good if it causes us to repair to the best of our ability those relationships that we have broken. The things that we have broken with our sin. Unresolved guilt as in the case of the governor Felix eats away at at us. If we bury it, if we ignore it, if we don't deal with it properly, we will have to face God's judgment. The shame that comes with guilt, is a powerful engine that can end up running and ruining our life long beyond that specific act, the specific failure to control our desires. We only get away with sin for a short time, and then the consequences start rolling in. But I I just want to be very careful right here that that if I fail at cutting sweeteners out of my diet, please don't come at me when I take the splenda. Please do not. I have not sinned, and I don't need to take on any guilt or shame that I might feel. That's improper guilt and shame, and we have to differentiate between this. It's the devil's game to keep us in that pit. Now, if I cheat on my husband, I was just wanted to see if he was awake during this portion. <laughs> Which I have not because he is the love of my life. But if I do cheat on Robert, that is definitely a sin and the guilt and shame of that failure is properly mine to carry. But once I come to my senses and ask for forgiveness and once I have turned away from that sin, I am forgiven through the cross of Jesus Christ and God takes my guilt and shame away from me. Even if I deserved that guilt and shame before, now, living in grace, living in forgiveness, it has become improper guilt and shame, and I need to get rid of it, because that's the devil's game as well, to keep us from receiving and living in grace through that deep sense of shame that we still feel. Some shame from our lack of self-control. We may take On ourselves and we may carry that burden for years and that does not belong to the child of God who is living forgiven and free and in communion with him and in communion with each other self-control is important because the stakes are high 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming, To others, I myself should not be disqualified." That seems to me to be a Francis Dyer type of statement. Paul is the football mom in the stands who win her. Child is knocked down, she says, get up, suck it up son, get back in there, shake it off. That's what that passage reminds me of. We exercise self-control for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the sake of our own salvation, and for the sake of everyone around who is watching Christ's power in in our life. It is for an eternal, imperishable gold medal. That wreath, you know, was an Olympic wreath that Paul was talking about in that passage, that we absolutely must discipline ourselves and when we let ourselves off the hook and when we think self-discipline is not that important there is collateral damage to the gospel in the people we hurt and in the people who see us as an example of a follower of Jesus we can't live in communion with Jesus without self-control And in fact, the harvest of self-control is closeness with Jesus. That's what we get. That's our reward. But I still have this weak spot. I still doubt that I can have self-control in this problem area. So let me encourage you with these words from 2 Peter chapter 1. May grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now. Comes the how. How can we possibly be self controlled in this area of life that is bothering me? His divine power has given us everything. Can you say everything? everything. His divine power has given us what? Everything. Needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. God gives us the power needed for self-control. So no more self-defeatist talk, no more whining, no more whinging. We have the tools, we have the power, we've got Jesus. We've got Jesus. So don't tell me you can't do it, Connie. Okay, you put your name in there, okay? Don't tell me you can't do it, Connie. Not Connie, put your own name in there. This passage is speaking to you. Don't tell me you can't do it, Connie, when you've got Jesus. Amen. Thus, He has given us through these things His precious and great promises, and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. Don't we long to escape the corruption of being, of lacking self-discipline and the corruption that is in this world? Aren't we just tired of it? Verse 5, for this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with what? And self-control with? Endurance. That's another word I don't like. Endurance. And endurance with godliness. And godliness with? Mutual affection. But that is not enough love. And mutual affection with? Agape love. That's a stepping stone of effort, starting with faith as a foundation and ending in the pinnacle of agape love. And in the middle, self-control is a critical element holding it all together But this is a lot of effort, discipline is hard, it's so much work. Why should we put that amount of work into it? Verse 8, 4, if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is nearsighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. And another big final why. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Now, I wish I could give you a three-point practical plan that if you just followed it step by step, it would increase your self-control. There are such things. There's some really good advice in that area, suggestions for how to fight for your self-control, how to strengthen yourself, what to do, what not to do. They're very helpful. But the truth is you have to decide for yourself that you want self-control in this area of your life. It's not going to work if you don't decide that and mean it. It will be hard work on your part to gain control over that thing that has instead controlled you. But you've got the power of God. Why don't you say that? I, I've got. I've got the power of God. And the power of God does not fail. And you can put your effort all of your effort alongside God's power, and you can and you will have a harvest of self-control. Let's bow in prayer. Oh, open your eyes. I forgot this part. If you are struggling with self-control in some kind of area of your life, just look, just casually look around you. And all of, Francis is not in our midst. All of these people. All of us have struggled with self-control. It's a human problem. So let's not be alone in it. And some of us have struggled a long time in the area of self-control. Now we can pray, dear God, we are all in the same boat. The failure. Of our lack of self control, Lord, just weighs heavy on us sometimes. I pray for your Holy Spirit to point out to us in gentleness but firmness an area of our life in which we need your divine power for self control because it's important in following you not what the world or society says to us, but you reveal to us through your Holy Spirit that area of our life where relationships are breaking or where sin is creeping in or where we are just being lax because of our desires and it's affecting our relationship with you, our relationship with each other. Point that out through your Holy Spirit. And then give us that fruit of self-control that your Spirit reminds us. Give us your power, strengthen us in our inner being, strengthen our resolve to follow you and discipline ourselves for the sake of your gospel. Give us joy in being self-controlled. Give us love in following you. Fill us, Lord, because we are a people who is in need.